side of midnight with Frank Morano. How lucky can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Like the fella once said, ain't that a kick in the head? The room was completely black. I hugged her and she hugged back. Like the sailor said, quote, ain't that a hole in a boat? My head keeps spinning. That is the great Dean Martin. Well, if you've been living under a rock or another planet, by now you have probably heard that President Trump has been indicted yet again, this time from the state of Georgia. But what's interesting about this, there are a lot of things that are interesting about this. What's interesting about this is this is a racketeering indictment. This is the kind of thing that's generally used to charge mobsters. What's also interesting about this is that one of the other co-defendants that Donald Trump has in this case, one of the other people that was indicted, was Rudy Giuliani. In addition to being a colleague of mine on the radio, Rudy Giuliani was a U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York, who used the RICO Act in all sorts of innovative ways, ways that had never been used before, and some say he went a little too far in using the RICO Act. And basically this Georgia case is prosecuting Mr. RICO, Rudy Giuliani, under the same kind of laws, it's different because it's state versus federal, the same kind of laws that he used to help put away a lot of mobsters. One of the folks that Rudy Giuliani actually indicted when he was U.S. attorney was Michael Franzese. Michael Franzese is uh, a former captain in the Colombo crime family, a best-selling author, a motivational speaker, a guy that has a YouTube page with millions of followers, and his uh, latest book is Mafia Democracy, How Our Republic Became a Mob Racket. Michael, it's great to talk with you again. Good to be back, Frank. Michael, uh, a lot that I want to pick your brain on, but uh, for people who have not heard our previous conversations, and I certainly hope that we'll go back and listen to our whole hour-long sit-down on uh, the Racket Report podcast, but for people that haven't heard our conversations before, give us the Reader's Digest version of your story. How did you go from being such what I'll call a mafia prodigy to being such a, a, a pillar of the community? And I mean that to be, uh, I'm not trying to be funny. That is exactly what I think most folks would say you are. How'd you make that sort of a transition? Well, you know, Frank, I think we have to go way back to, you know, my growing up with my dad, who Sonny Francis, who was the underboss of the Colombo family. So, you know, I mean, I grew up in that life, uh, witnessing my dad, who was very high profile, always under investigation, indicted, you know, three times in the state of New York, grand larceny, murder, and then finally, um, you know, indicted in federal court and uh, getting convicted and, and getting a 50-year prison sentence, which was a very long sentence at the time. And so I grew up in it, but my dad didn't want me to be part of that life. He wanted me to go to school and be a doctor. And I was a pre-med student at Hofstra University when my dad uh, began serving that 50-year prison sentence. 
And, you know, Joe Colombo had the Italian-American Civil Rights League at that time. I got involved with Joey. I knew him, obviously, most of my life, but uh, because I saw the league as a way to help my dad out. I believe my dad was framed on that case. I believe it now. I'll take it to my, my death because I investigated that case. So we came to a point, you know, after my dad being away a year where, number one, my family was running out of the money. I was the oldest. You know, I had brothers and sisters, my mom. Uh, you know, there is a myth out there that when you're a, you're a made guy, when you go to jail, the family takes care of you forever. That's not true. Whatever money my dad had on the street, when it ran out, it ran out. So now I have two issues. Number one, got to take care of my family. Number two, I got to help my dad get out of prison. And my dad, you know, in a visit at Leavenworth, when I was visiting in the, in the visiting room, other, you know, he said, son, if you're going to be on the street and help me, then I want you on the street the right way. And he proposed me at that point for membership. Now, I got into the life in 1975. I was 24 years old. And, you know, for the next 15 odd years, uh, Frank, quite honestly, I wanted to be the best possible mob guy I could be. But I wasn't, you know, a lot of guys that get into that life, this was it. They were on the street. They admired mob guys. They wanted to be part of it. This is what they lived for. You know, getting that button, getting straightened out, being made was big. Well, I never had that aspiration. I did it basically to help my dad. And so you mentioned uh, Giuliani. You know, I had a lot of success in that life, as you know. You know, I, I made a lot of money and did a lot of things for the family. I became a major target myself. I was arrested about 18 times, indicted seven times. I had two federal racketeering cases and one state racketeering case in Florida. So, I, you know, and then ended up doing all that time in prison. But so the point is, you asked how I made the transformation. Even though when I got into that life, I succeeded and I did well, I wasn't it wasn't my aspiration to ever be part of it. And when I saw what was happening in the mid eighties, when Giuliani was becoming so successful implementing the RICO statute, which was new to us all, not even the lawyers knew how to defend it Mm. really. You know, it was, it was a very tough statute to defend, especially in federal court because you didn't need to, you didn't need much corroboration. It's a little different in the state. So I see all these guys getting convicted and getting 100 years, 150 years. I see guys turning informant left and right because they're facing so much time now under this statute. And I said, you know, this this life is in trouble. So I made the decision to try to walk away. I'm not going to get into my whole personal story, but I think the reason I was able to make that transformation is because maybe it wasn't my destiny to be part of that life anyway, Frank. You it, know what I mean? I was on a different road. It makes sense. And uh, believe it or not, if folks think that's interesting, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So you can subscribe to Michael's YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and uh, search Michael Franzese. Or you can listen to the uh, hour-long chat that we had recently on the Racket Report. Just search the Racket Report on any podcast app, and you can hear my interview with Michael Franzese. Now, uh, speaking of Rudy Giuliani, he was on the Cats and Cosby radio radio show yesterday talking about this indictment coming from the Fulton County DA, Fawny Willis in uh, Georgia is what he said. Fanny Willis, uh, I think, you know, is a politician, not a lawyer. She had a hard time even getting an indictment. I mean, she got it twice, actually. The first thing filed is, a, is an official indictment, by the way. It has a, uh, a court number on it, a case number on it, a judge assigned to it, a courtroom. It was filed at noon wasn't voted by the grand jury, and the grand jury didn't vote until 8. That should require an immediate dismissal of it as improperly 
voted. It also should involve an investigation of who leaked it so they can put him in jail. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. So the mayor doesn't sound too worried there, uh, but he's been indicted along with President Trump and 17 others. They're trying to move this case to federal court. We'll see what happens. There's uh, there going to be a lot of uh, a lot of motions in this case and uh, a lot of legalese is already out there. This is very much uncharted territory. Michael, what do you make of uh, this particular indictment, seeing how the guy that indicted you is now being indicted um, by the a similar statute that he went after you for. And what do you make of these four Trump indictments in general? You know, Frank, I, I, and I hope people understand where I'm coming from, what I'm saying. Look, I spent a lot of time on the street. There was a time when I hated the government. Giuliani was my enemy. I hated the FBI. I hated law enforcement because of what I believe they did to my dad. And then, of course, with my own experience, I want to make this clear. I don't feel that way anymore. I have friends in law enforcement now, and not because I cooperated. You know that. I didn't put people in jail. I didn't go into the program. I didn't do any of that. But I finally learned, you know, right from wrong. And I understand we were the bad guys. They were the good guys at that time. And so, you know, I've come to terms with that. But here's the thing. I, I love my country. I have seven kids and I have six grandchildren and another on the way. And what I've seen happen in this past two and a half years, actually in a longer than that, but really pronounced in these past two and a half years, and I, I've been trying to tell people, I've been talking about it on my platform. Whenever the administration in power starts to weaponize the Department of Justice and all the power that comes with it to go after their political enemies, number one, or people that disagree with them, because we saw what happened on social media, how they tried to silence people. This is very, very dangerous territory that we are entering into. Uh, I mean, our freedoms are really at stake. And for those people out there, I said it today on on my uh, Twitter platform, for those of you that are Trump haters, you're going to regret the day, because remember, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what we're seeing now, this two-tiered system of justice, is very frightening. It really is, Frank. And, and let me tell you something. You know, people, I mean, I got asked all day about this indictment. Well, Michael, isn't it ironic? And would you like to see Rudy Giuliani in jail? No, I would not want to see Rudy Giuliani in jail, nor do I want to see Trump in jail, um, because I don't think it's right. The attack that's been, that's been happening here, it's so obvious, it's so biased, it's so political. And it's scary, whether it be Trump or anybody else, Frank. And, you know, look, I have to say something. And and please, again, it's not a question of politics. It's a question of what I see and what's right and what's wrong. When we get back to the Hunter Biden situation, I just want want to tell this. This you always follow the money. This investigation so so far has found how many suspicious reports on the banking stuff with the Bidens. 
they've had 11 or 12 shell companies. Why is it a shell company? Well, when it has no brick and mortar, it has no employees, it has no product that it's selling, and it really has no service. When you form a company, an LLC or a corporation, it's because you want to either sell a product or a service. You're doing something. It functions for that reason. Well, how am I familiar with this? Because I had 18 shell companies, <laughs> 18 of them, Frank, that did nothing, but, but I used them to open a bank account and collect the tax money that we were defrauding the government out of. That was it. And that money came into the bank, and then we moved it to other places. Now, let me answer another question, because a lot of people are saying, well, Biden never got a penny. Well, when I was collecting the tax money and defrauding the government, do you think I made it go from one account into my account in my personal name? Why would I do that? This is illegal money. Yeah. I, I had a system to where it went everywhere but me until I needed it, and then it came to me in a different way. So my point is, why is this not being investigated by the Department of Justice in a heavy way? The, the, the answers are out there. It's so, it, it's so obvious to me. And if we have an administration and, and people in office that are basically treasonous in a way, how could the media, how could anybody stand for this? This is still our country that we're trying to protect. And what I see going on is very, very dangerous. Michael, I, I could pick your brain on a whole bunch of stuff. I have pages worth of stuff that I can ask you about. But I want to tell people what you're doing in uh, Atlantic City on September 23rd. You're going to be at Caesars. It's being billed as a history of the mafia in Atlantic City and Philadelphia with Michael Franzis. What can people expect if they come to this show on Saturday, September 23rd? Well, you know, uh, obviously, I've done a number of these over the years, and, and I always enjoy my audience. And we always get. And I got to tell you, I love coming back to New Jersey and New York. And you know, even I was listening in on your callers that were calling in, and just to hear the Brooklyn accent, I love to hear that. I love your show, Frank. For that reason, <laughs> thank you. I mean it. I love it. But uh, you know, listen, we're going to talk about the history. I, I don't think people understand, you know, how far back. Uh, mob history is in Atlantic City. That the first real meeting of all the mob bosses occurred in Atlantic City way back when, and Philadelphia too. And I had ties to both, uh, you know, families. I knew Nicky Scarfer very well. I knew the people, uh, you know, in in Jersey, which we always considered a sister of New York. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk somewhat about my life. I'm going to answer questions. We always do a Q and A, and I tell people, ask me anything that you want. You won't offend me. Um, I normally answer everything. And then we do a, you know, a book signing. We have a VIP section in the back. We take photographs and we just always have a great night. And I think people get a lot out of it. And listen, you know, Frank, it's unbelievable. When I do a Q&A, you would think that most of the questions are going to be mob related, right? Right. They're not. Because people, no matter what walk of life you're in, people relate to certain things that happen in another person's life. People want to know, Michael. How did your wife stand, you know, how did she stand up with you doing eight years in prison and a contract on your life and all the stuff that went down? How did your kids, you know, react to that? How did you hold your family together? How did you make this transformation? How did you forgive the people that betrayed you? All of these type of questions. You know why? Because they're going through similar things in their life. Mm. You don't have to walk in somebody's same shoes, but you can still have the same situation from a totally different lifestyle. 
And and we just always make a great night of it, and I'm very excited to be in Atlantic City on the 23rd. Well, I'm going to try and see you uh, when you're you're out this way. I'm a big uh, Atlantic City fan. I'm supposed to be there the next weekend, but I have to see if I can arrange my schedule. If people want to see Michael Franzese, it's going to be Saturday, September 23rd at Caesars Atlantic City. You can get tickets uh, through uh, Ticketmaster.com, or you could just go to Caesars.com, and you can get it. Uh, you can get it both ways, Michael. Before we run out of time here you did a fascinating youtube piece on tony bennett people have been talking about tony bennett for 60 70 years but especially in the last few weeks since he's passed away a lot of folks uh, always made the comparison between tony bennett and frank sinatra uh, and frank sinatra we know had a lot of relationships with mob figures what about tony bennett did tony bennett have a relationship with the mob well, you know, again, and, and I brought this out on my YouTube channel. What I don't like is when people say, you know, the mob made Tony Bennett, the mob made Frank Sinatra. I want to get this clear. You know, the talent made them. That's Get that clear. These were very talented men um, that had charisma, that had wonderful voices, that had style, everything else. And the same for Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin and all of that. Now, when they performed in clubs in the 50s and the 60s, did they rub shoulders with mob guys? Of course. Come on, I was in the Copacabana so often with my father, Joe Colombo, Persico, a number of guys, because we loved to frequent those places. My dad was very close with Julie Bodell, who owned the Copa at the time. And that's the same of many of the clubs, especially in the Northeast, even in Vegas. So, yeah, they rubbed shoulders with them. But did they make their careers? No. Tony Bennett, you know, the story is that he borrowed some money from some mob guys at one point in time, and then he paid them off to get out of whatever relationship he had with them. Okay, that happens in that, you know, it happens. But, uh, you know, I want to make it clear that the mob didn't make Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett made himself, and that's the point that I brought out in my YouTube. And the same with Sinatra. Sinatra was friendly. Look. He did favors for us. We did favors for them. You know, he appeared for Joe Colombo at the Italian-American Civil Rights League. You know the story with Sinatra and the Kennedy relationship with Chicago and all that, which is true. But, you know, Frank, maybe I'm going to get in trouble for this, but what's wrong with that? They weren't doing any shady business. You know, Sinatra wasn't a Shylock. He wasn't a bookmaker. He wasn't murdering people. So what's the difference if he knew some guys that patronized him, that paid to see him? They did favors back and forth, and the same with Tony Bennett. You know, there was a story that Tony Bennett made a mistake and he, uh, when he was in a depressed state in his life, and he admits to this, that he went out with a girl that happened to be uh, uh, Tony Spilatro's girlfriend. And he didn't know it, and Tony Spilatro hit him over the head with a phone book, and uh, he had that guy. But that wasn't a relationship. That was just a mistake that he made. He picked the wrong girl. Nothing happened after that, but... You know, people fantasize about these relationships like these guys did something wrong because right. they knew mob guys or they had relationships. Not true. Yeah. Michael, it is always a treat uh, to uh, chat with you. I look forward to our next conversation. Hopefully we can uh, chat in person when you're uh, when you're out east again. Appreciate it. I hope so, Frank. I hope to meet you. And anytime you want me, you know I'm here. Brother. Thank you. Uh, Michael Franzi, see him at uh, Caesars Atlantic City, September 23rd. You can get tickets through Ticketmaster. You can reach out to Caesars. You can go to uh, Caesars.com. It's going to be quite a show. Uh, September 23rd, uh, Saturday night in Atlantic City, 8 p.m. And in the coming days, we may have a couple tickets we can give away to that. We'll uh, we'll keep you posted on that. 